Greetings and welcome to another episode of Two Ball Guys. My name is Eric Giordano and I am the Executive Director of the Wisconsin Institute for Public Policy and Service, also known as WIPS. And I am joined by my awesome co-host, Dave Anderson. Hi, Dave. Awesome co-host. Thank you, Eric. I really appreciate that. Yes, my name is Dave Anderson. I'm a Senior Policy Fellow at WIPS. And today we're going to be discussing the future of broadband with two very special guests who are working diligently on these issues. For those who might not be familiar with WIPS, we're a unit of the University of Wisconsin system founded in 2007 um, with a mission to educate and engage citizens, develop future leaders, and bring the resources of the university to address community identified needs. Thanks, Dave. And you know, it's, 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 I'm excited. I mean, I've got my first vaccination. I've got my second vaccination scheduled. I know you, you've had yours, right? No, um, not yet. Oh, oh, you have it. Oops. <laughs> well, thanks. Hey, hey, make sure you sign up, Dave. Uh, and I see that the CDC has come out with some new guidelines that are starting to allow more personal <laughs> contact for those who have received the vaccine. And Dave, if we're going to get together for dinner, you really have to get vaccinated. Okay, <laughs> absolutely. But anyway, it really feels like we're turning the corner here and we just encourage all of our, our guests and, and our guests, listen to me, our audience members and you two guests when you get on here to get your vaccines. Um, and we want everyone to be safe and, and to be able to return to a more human centered world. Um, speaking of being reconnected to the world, Dave, I had to get my driver's license renewed recently. And when the DMV worker handed me my new license, it came with a note. I was a little surprised to see a note uh, and thought it was a little strange, but then when I read it, it actually made perfect sense. It said, your forehead is so big, the photo on your driver's license has a note underneath saying to be continued on the back. So I just thought that was really helpful. Uh, that's a that's a great that's a great story, Eric. And we've talked about your forehead before on the show. So uh, thanks yeah. for uh, thanks for bringing 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 that back up again. Um, and, and you know what? It, it actually reminds me. This is a, this is an absolutely true story. It reminds me of the time I submitted an application for the TSA pre-check program, you know, where you can kind of bypass the, the, the more rigorous way to get onto, a, onto an airplane. Um, you've got to do an interview, of course, once you submit your application. And I was sitting in front of the agent who was looking at my application and uh, she stopped and she looked up at me and she looked down at the application again and she looked up to me again, looked up at me again. And she said, really, Dave? And I said, what? And she said, brown hair, I, I, a force of habit, I checked off brown hair on the application. And she said, maybe gray hair or maybe no hair would be better for you. And uh, we kind of had a laugh about that, but it's an absolutely true, it's an absolutely true story. So I, I know what that's like. And speaking of the, speaking of the COVID shot, yeah, I'm, I'm not 65 yet. I know I'm old and retired, but I turned 65 in August. I'm pleased though that I'll be in the, uh, the next group eligible for vaccinations uh, starting next week. So I'm hoping to get that scheduled and taken care of as soon as possible, which I hope everybody does as well, so. Yeah, well, thanks Dave for sharing your version of humor, making my day a little bearable, I appreciate that. You know, speaking of which, if our, our uh, viewers have any words of wisdom in the form of hair puns or jokes of your own, you can always put them in the Facebook chat or email us at info at whips.org. That's info at WIPPS.org. And it's time to give a quick shout out to our producer, our long suffering uh, producer, uh, an incredible producer, Luke Rudolph, who also is our marketing coordinator, chill hop DJ and token representative of an attractive younger demographic. Thank you, Luke. And especially today, because I, I, 
heard you're having a few technology problems and uh, thanks for getting us organized. Uh, we appreciate that. And we also have another um, staff member, technology uh, staff member who's helping us out today and that's Katie Schramm. So we just wanna say thank you to you too, Katie. Yeah, uh, Luke and Katie, we really appreciate what you do behind the scenes. And it's kind of ironic that, that uh, we're doing a show on broadband today and Luke was having some internet issues. I thought that was just kind of ironic when that started happening this morning, but I'm glad that's behind us. And, uh, and uh, uh, Luke is uh, with us yet again. Uh, and now it's time to get to today's special topic on the future of broadband in Wisconsin uh, with a couple of special guests, uh, including Angie Dickinson, uh, in 2015, Angie was appointed to head up the Wisconsin State Broadband Office, which is housed in the Public Service Commission. Uh, most recently, in 2019, Angie returned to her Minnesota roots and joined the Minnesota Department of Employment and Economic Development to serve as the broadband develop, development manager there. Uh, in this role, she oversees a portfolio of $85 million in broadband infrastructure investments across the state and works with various stakeholders, uh, including the governor, legislators, providers, and communities to promote broadband development initi initiatives throughout Minnesota. Our second guest is Alyssa Kenny, Director of Digital Access um, uh, as part of Wisconsin's Public Service Commission. Prior to that, Alyssa was the Executive Director of DaneNet, uh, DaneNet, an organization that has helped uh, households enroll in low-income, uh, low-cost home internet taught basic computer skills and distributed computers to low-income families. Uh, we also want to give a shout out to Brittany Beyer, who was originally scheduled to join us but couldn't make it today due to a family emergency. Uh, it's not life-threatening, so we don't want to alarm anybody, but we wish her and her family well. And we want to welcome and thank Angie and Alyssa for being here. So welcome to the show, you two. There they are. Thank you, Dave and Eric. Hey, I'm... I'm pleased to be with you all today. I'm just going to share in my building here, they are apparently now testing the fire alarm system. So I suddenly <laughs> jump and go mute, but I, it's just a test. It's what I'm told. This would have been a great show for April 1st, wouldn't it? I mean, this seems like one thing, one thing after another. Hey, um, I'm going to jump right in with the first question. And okay, we're, we're going to stoop uh, to asking the report card question. And I hope it doesn't get either of you in trouble, but uh, given your uh, uh, mutual experiences, one in Minnesota, one in Wisconsin, um, um, respectively, how would you grade current broadband access and service in each state? And tell us a little bit about why you would assign your respective state that particular grade. And whoever wants to go first can go first. I'll go, I'll go first while it's quiet here. Um, and, you know, I, I gave that quite a bit of thought when you, when you all were um, asking me about that. And there's no good answer there. And it, because it depends on who you're asking. Oh. Uh, well, Alyssa, would you like to? <laughs> I, I think I can keep going. But here's okay, the great. thing. If you live in a community where you have high quality, reliable access, to the broadband service that you need to live and thrive and survive in today's economy, I would give, I would give the state an A plus and the broadband providers who are providing that service. And even as we're getting close to achieving our state goals, if you're in the community 
that doesn't have that access today, that spent part of, of the winter uh, in a parking lot to access free Wi-Fi so that you could telecommute or so your kids could stay connected to school, we're definitely got, not getting a passing grade. So we're making progress, but there's a lot more, a lot more to be done. Yeah, I thought much of the same as Angie when I read this question is it really it depends so much on your geographic location and it also depends so much just on your individual household circumstance right there's some folks who live in a city or a town or a village that has great broadband access, but for some reason they can't access it they can't afford it, or even possibly, um, you know, they're, they live in a uh, apartment building that has a, a agreement with a particular provider and they have arrears with that provider there's there can be other barriers and so um, it's both an issue of geography and cost of, for families throughout both states. Yeah, thanks. And we hope to dig in a little bit to some of those uh, responses, but we appreciate that. Now, according to Pew Research, um, Wisconsin and Minnesota are both considered positive models of broadband policy and implementation relative to other states, for example. In the case of Wisconsin, for instance, I read that there's a publicly stated goal that every Wisconsinite will have access to affordable broadband service by 2025. So I'm not sure what about Minnesota, but I wonder if you could both elaborate a little bit on what, what Minnesota and Wisconsin are doing right. What, what is it that they're doing well? I can go first this time. And so um, I think one of the things that Wisconsin's doing well is we have just a really, and you know, this was under Angie, Angie's leadership also, but just a really strikingly effective grant program. It's um, been really, really successful at leveraging infrastructure projects where they're needed into unserved communities. It's been incredibly successful at leveraging additional public and private dollar investments into the state. And, and then I think what's special and unique about Wisconsin is that our grant program has really um, fostered and promoted these public-private partnerships where the community gets a, a say in some of the program and they're working in partnership with a provider to really make sure that their voice is in it and that the provider is meeting the community's needs and then that the provider is, is left sort of financially whole when they're expanding into these sparser areas. And so I think the, the grant program in the state of Wisconsin, which has continued to grow as one of our great successes and something that was mentioned in Pew. And, and, and I would echo those things. You know, when I think about both, both our states, I think about leadership uh, from the governor's office through the, the, the commission in Wisconsin, the Department of Economic Development, state of Minnesota, our states have broadband task forces, which are wonderful, and that public-private partnership is key. Both, both our states have broadband providers who particularly do, during this pandemic went above and beyond to help folks get connected. Again, we are very much aware of where the gaps are and we definitely need to close those gaps, but it's that, that in leadership at the beginning of both of our programs that really helped move our states forward. And I would say in Minnesota, that started with a task force that then um, through its annual reporting process encouraged the governor and the legislature to put speed goals in state statute 
So currently Minnesota has two goals in statute, a 2022 goal to have ubiquitous 25 by three access and a 2026 goal of a 100 by 20 access. Our current governor's broadband task force is in the process of evaluating those speed goals in terms of the lessons we've all learned through the pandemic, uh, one of the big ones being that upload speed is more important than it's ever been. Uh, we look forward to those conversations, but I, I really have to say I, that that public-private partnership where we see communities working with a provider to solve that broadband access issue, that's where we've seen the most success. Hey, Derek, we do have a, we do yeah. have a viewer question, but I wanna, I wanna ask this question first because it ties in really well with the, with the question that you just asked. And that is, uh, talk a little bit about the flip side. What are the, what are the biggest barriers or challenges to broadband access in Minnesota and Wisconsin? And then we'll get to our, our viewer question after that. Okay. Um, in, in terms of the barriers, we're still there. We're still there with the population density issue in our rural areas and the difficult path to a return on investment for providers to build out infrastructure in those areas. And again, as Alyssa mentioned, it's another, another point that was clearly driven home for for all of us with the pandemic that we have communities across our states where that have terrific broadband access, but affordability is an issue for folks. So uh, those, are, those are the barriers that we still face today. Wisconsin's the same, that geography and that issue of return on investment. Um, you know, we have some beautiful scenic bluffs and we have cranberry bogs and we have granite and we have, you know, a variety of geography that can make connectivity really a challenge. And then um, many communities that the provider, the incumbent provider that originally had facilities, you know, they, they're dependent on that provider often to really um, build their infrastructure to support the community as they wanna grow. And sometimes the, the provider, um, that has the incumbent facilities has, you know, different priorities, like, you know, maybe they're pivoting to 5G in urban areas. And so it can really be a challenge to um, meet that essential community need and also meet the, the business need of the internet service provider that's trying to, you know, develop their own business model and make sure that their company is relevant and keeping up on technology and all the pressures that they have. And, and sometimes those needs are aligned really well, but sometimes they're not aligned and that can be a real challenge. Yeah, thanks. And that really leads well into our, an audience question we received, um, which goes like this. What actually are the government's roles, authority and resources to enhance more broadband coverage when broadband carriers, like you just described, are independent entities and maybe don't have a good return on investment, as you put it. In Minnesota, and I know Wisconsin is the same. What, what came out of some what came out of some terrific public policy in both states was the creation of broadband offices and grant programs to help incent that investment, to help provide that path to a return on investment and to encourage that public-private partnership. And 
again, I can't stress how important that is. I, I look at communities across the state and as we are on the edge of significant federal and state investment in broadband infrastructure, it's important to connect with connect with these associations of broadband providers, reach out to them. That's a, a good starting point. Of course, connect to your state broadband office. They can help, help you establish connections with those companies that may be able to provide service. And um, you know, I had a great example that I just yesterday chatting Dave with uh, one of our former colleagues, Marianne Lippert. She was working uh, with the communities in Wood County to help them successfully receive state broadband grant funding through the PSC. And uh, in discussing this with her, a big part of their success was working with their school districts as well. This is such a great question um, because our office frequently receives calls from people who maybe don't have service or their speed is inadequate for what they need for learning or working. And um, sometimes they're calling our office in the hopes that the, the call to the our office and the submission of their address will get them broadband. And it, it is difficult to explain that, that we don't regulate that and we don't have the authority as the government to come in and, and have a, a private business serve them. And so I think the grant programs are a really excellent opportunity to incent that. Um, I know in Wisconsin, there's some continues to be some barriers to municipal broadband. So the opportunities for a commun community to build their own infrastructure and survive it, 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 is, it is possible. There's just you know studies and some pilots and some things those communities have to do if they're interested in pursuing that. Um, but it is it is really a challenge because broadband is um, you know regulated like an information service, not a communication service. So very very light regulation, and the role of government is these grant part these grants and these these partnerships and building those partnerships. You you know Eric, uh, you'll be very pleased to hear this. Uh, not only is your mother one of our regular viewers, but apparently my sister is a regular viewer. She she just texted me a question. And, and, and I don't know if there's a good answer to this. Uh, so shout out to my sister. Thanks for watching today. We, I appreciate that. Um, but she says, ask when we are going to get better and affordable internet up north. My sister will be happy to know that we talked about that before the show started. Um, a mile down the road, high-speed broadband is, is an option and we can only get broadband through, through satellite. It, ju it, just seems, it just seems so strange to, to, to us. Uh, at our at our place up uh, up in the northern part of the state, there's probably not a good answer to that, but it kind of kind of revolves around the very thing that we're just talking about, right? So, any any reaction to that at all? Oh, I, you know, just one thing I I, I would mention that in the um, governor's Evers proposed budget, there is a a line extension grant program, and a line extension grant program probably won't cover a mile. Um, but it will hopefully help, you know, if it's approved, it would help households with those um, hundred yard across the street. Like I'm so like that so close yet so far away situation. And because we know just the way infrastructure is built that there's households throughout the state that are, are close. We also know that there's a lot of households that, that know they have, um, you know, a fiber run through their front yard 
but it, it's often middle mile or some type of facilities that doesn't just mean just because there's fiber on the county highway in front of you doesn't actually mean there's necessarily internet service available to your home. Um, but for some people there could be and hopefully this line extension program will will be approved and that might be something that would would solve some of those last mile last hundred yard problems for residents. Cool. Good to know. And Dave, I would I would add to that that there's never been a better time for folks to start talking locally uh, at, at the township level or the town level, city, county. I guess the American Rescue Plan ha has broadband funding in it. All the details haven't been specified, but there, there definitely are categories of funding that will be going to cities and counties that have broadband infrastructure identified in them. What exactly that means yet, we don't know. But I, it's certainly I, it's something I would say for you, it's not too soon to start talking to folks about a plan to get better broadband access in your community, to reach out to uh, you know, the uh, state telecom associations or the cable associations or the wireless associations and start looking for those potential partners and the state broadband offices can help with that. But now is the time to have those conversations. It's great advice, thank you. Yeah, yeah, that is. And, and you actually answered one of our viewers questions. So thank you. And, and so can I just, this may seem obvious to some, but it seems like if I've got an issue of broadband where I live, well, I hear what you hear you saying is that this is really resolvable at the local level, but it, it's gonna take multiple actors right to come together and and i guess lobby and put pressure and or and set create incentives for for independent uh internet providers to come in is that is that kind of what you're saying or, and or to apply for funds maybe for state or federal funds exactly exactly I, it, it's the time to have those conversations and to you know i can't remember who this is attributed to but start close in start with the with in your community start by talking to your neighbors start by talking to your town supervisors or your county board members and work with work with the state programs that are available and let them help you make those connections to folks who may be interested in building out in your community the other, the other piece to be aware of is the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund, which is another program through the FCC that's building out broadband infrastructure across our states. It's too much to get into in a program like this, but it's, 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 it's another area where state broadband offices can assist communities with finding additional information about those possibilities. Dave, we have a couple more viewer questions. I don't think we've had so many viewer questions ever on our show. Do you mind if I take gotcha. the first one and I'll leave the second one for you? And Alyssa, can I direct this to you? So kind of related to what Angie was talking about, what happens if I'm a citizen and I'm, I have you know, bad access or poor access and I, try, I go to my local you know, common council, city council, whatever, town council, and, and I just am not getting heard or I'm not getting a response. Are there anything, is there anything else that an individual can do you know, to try to create opportunities to improve broadband access? Um, 
you know, so I would also reach out to, like Angie said, those provider associations, the, the provider that you think has facilities, but oftentimes you can reach out to our office. I would also say oftentimes people assume the only internet service provider is maybe like their local telephone provider. And there are often other opportunities outside of that. There might be a fixed wireless provider. There might be another wireline provider nearby that might be expanding. So sometimes our office can help people um, see broader opportunities or other people to connect with beyond local officials. And I, I would just like to shout out maybe on behalf of Brittany that the regional economic development um, corporations throughout the state are really doing a lot of leadership on this in Wisconsin. And so if you know, a local elected officials aren't the right path, reaching out to those regional economic development folks or into UW Extension too are two other really great resources in the state of Wisconsin for people to start working with on these projects. Yeah, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll tackle uh, yet another um, uh, viewer question. Uh, what if the service was declared a utility, then could government build the towers and lay the fiber to help support the suppliers uh, who only pull in a few billion dollars each year? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll start. Um, so yeah, there, I mean, I think there's a whole huge what if broadband was utility, like the electrification and, and how would that impact consumers and what would that do? I, I will say communities can build their fiber and towers and then they can work with a private partner to get it to customers. There's opportunity to do some of that without um, broadband becoming a utility because you know we have companies in the state that have invested millions and millions and billions of dollars in their infrastructure and their network and their customer service. And so um, the move to a utility would be a very, very big and far leap, um, but there's still opportunities for communities to build and own and lease their own infrastructure and you know develop what they want. I'm gonna pass it to Angie for the broadband utility question. Well, I, I would agree with you there, Alyssa. You know, we don't we don't regulate broadband in our states, and there's a reason for that. That there are multiple options. A, a utility service implies monopoly control in exchange for regulation, and in 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 spite of communities not perhaps having all of the options that they would like to have. Like Alyssa said, the path from where we are today to a, a regulated environment would be a very long one. And in my opinion, not the right way to go. Great, thank you. Oh well, my gosh, another viewer question. Yeah, yeah, you, uh, I'll go ahead. So another viewer is asking, um, I'd like to hear Alyssa, this is directed to you, talk about households. Uh, I know there's a balance between uh, putting fiber into the ground versus grants, just putting hookups to houses. I know that we need both, but I think a measurement that gets missed in the grant reporting is how many houses are impacted directly. Any comments or thoughts about that? Yeah, and so, you know, so far in the state's history, we've been doing a grant program that Angie ran for many years, so she can correct me. You know, and they were, it was, it's very focused on the number of locations and the cost per location and um, looking at the sort of that impact of both the, the quality of service the person's going to get and the number of locations that will be served and the service they have now. So, you know, what's the, what's the difference in service? Because 
almost all of the state has some internet. It's that a lot of people don't have adequate internet. Um, and so, yeah, the line extensions, I do think right, right now they're proposed for a $4,000 cap per household where the household would be putting in the remainder. And so um, that's similar to a little higher than what the grant per location cost is. But I do, I do understand the, the question that it's a sort of a tension between just helping one household versus a grant that might increase broadband for a whole community. And we see both strategies as important. So when you when you look at what's going on in in Wisconsin in Minnesota, I, I think we talked about this maybe a little bit earlier in the show. But how how do we stack up to other parts of the country? I mean, what what's going on elsewhere in the in the United States? Are, um, Eric mentioned that the, the Pew Research that rates Minnesota and Wisconsin pretty high. Is that is that your from your perspectives? Is that accurate? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, Listen, I, I, both states have done a terrific job of, of building a solid policy foundation and, and setting goals and developing these grant programs that are recognized around the country as, as being models to follow. At the same time, I, I, I can't say that um, Minnesota is taking the lead in terms of closing the digital divide or uh, adequately addressing digital equity issues. But I'm very proud of the work that this state has done and, and proud of the work that's happened in the state of Wisconsin as well. There are states that, that don't have state broadband programs or state broadband offices. And again, in a time when there's likely to be federal funding coming to states to address broadband issues, having these offices in place well-staffed and having those partner, partnerships with the industry as well to help close the gap, we are well-positioned. We're not at the top, but at least for Minnesota, I wouldn't put us at the top, but we're doing well. All right, I was on mute there. Go, oh, go ahead, Alyssa, yeah, please. Oh, I was just gonna chime in, you know, I think Wisconsin, you know, we're not on the top. We have a lot of residents remaining in our state that don't have fast enough internet. And I think, you know, the, the pandemic has, has really put the magnifying glass on that. Um, people who were, were maybe getting by on sufficient internet, the pandemic made it clear that it wasn't enough. Um, I do think just like Angie, you know, the policies, the system and the leadership are there. And I think we have a really great sort of documented impact about how the work we've been doing in the state to increase it. Um, but you know, now every state is working really hard and really fast to increase it too. And so I think for us to remain a leader, we're gonna have to continue to work really hard. So to do that, to kind of put you guys on the spot a little bit here, <laughs> I'm sure you're used to it, right? Um, what is really needed then? Is, is it just a resource problem, right? Is it just a matter of, you know, we need more money for these grants to be able to, you know, help in, improve the service for these uh, areas that you've mentioned or people who are, who are lacking? Or is it something more? I mean, you know, do we need um, uh, some different model or do we need communities somehow to, you know, get more organized, like you were talking about earlier around, you know, really reaching out uh, to, to, service providers and, and, and so on. What, what is needed to get to, to that last, you know, coverage? 
Want me to go first? So I, resources are important, but it is not just a resource issue anymore. It, you know, there are like strategic partnerships that need to happen. Um, the issue of connectivity is, it's a bigger problem than the um, internet service providers alone in the marketplace is going to solve. So we probably, we need to keep making this table bigger. You know, maybe we need to bring in utilities or rural electric co-ops to help. Maybe we need to bring in um, libraries and really um, prop up their role as helping people with adoption. Maybe we need to build affordability programs to make sure that people are able to afford the service and we have really high take rates. Um, so it's, it's not resources alone. It's um, really leadership and planning and bringing some more people to the table to solve this problem. Uh, the market, the market alone has not done it, and so we need some additional players in place to to really leverage to get everyone the service they need, and then everyone the devices and the skills to use that internet service and really participate. Well said. I couldn't say it any better. You know, I, you know, when I when I think about you know your prior question in, in talking about the progress our states have made or how our, our models are recognized, we still have the, these gaps, right? And, um, and particularly in our rural areas, we, we like to talk about the rural-rural divide now, right? We have some of our rural communities have better infrastructure than some of their urban counterparts. At the same time, these are the areas that are going to be most challenging to serve. And that's where we do. We have to look through a wider lens at who else can we bring to the table? What other options might be there to help these communities? You know, And Alyssa, as I was uh, looking at Wisconsin's grant awards, I've seen that uh, the town of Boulder Junction in Vilas County received a very nice grant up there in their partnership with CenturyLink. And, I, I can remember conversations with folks there. They were very well organized, but that this took time. This took a lot of time and energy from that community working in partnership with that private partner and, and a lot of fine folks who helped them get there. And I, that's where we're at right now. There's this, this, the pandemic just lit a fire on the sense of urgency on getting folks connected and we know that these things take time to happen. So it's that, how do we bring together the folks who can do this quickly, thoughtfully to get the job done? I mean, you, you both are obviously, you know, veterans in this space. And, and so I guess it, it gets a little bit back to that question about the roles, uh, for example, of government and, you know, who, who can, bring people together as you as you pointed out the you know the free market has gotten us really far down the road but not all the way so you know does government have a role in 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 kind of bringing these these last pockets together in some kind of cohesive way or is it is it just going to have to be case by case area by area you know village by village <laughs> You know, probably, probably Angie, like, I, I guess I think, yes, we have such a big role in this, you know, that as everyone said, the pandemic has put such a magnifying glass on this, but, you know, now 
participation in you know democratic processes and town meetings and things are they're only available virtual things that really are part of kind of essential rights of living in the state are only available online and so i think um it was always so important and critical for learning and work and social opportunity but now it seems to me that it's um you know, becoming part of the, the fabric of what's important about our democracy for people to have access to the internet. And so all that educational opportunity and economic and health, telehealth, those are all really critical, but it, it feels to me now that we've to turn this page and it's really um, in some ways just about democratic participation for people to have internet access. And so I do think that the government has a strong role in, in really ensuring that those last pockets get the access that they need for that full participation. And I need just enjoy hearing your response, Alyssa. Uh, you know, another big piece of this in my mind is the role that broadband access is going to play in our recovery out of this pand pandemic, right? And um, being a being a huge fan of the Telecommuter Forward program in Wisconsin and, and the Broadband Forward Community program there. The, the silver lining, if there is one out of this horrible pandemic is that telecommuting is now a viable option for a lot of folks, at least uh, on the employer side. And you look at the communities where these investments in infrastructure have been made that allow people to live and work where they, from where they want to. The job doesn't necessarily mean you have to live in a city or a state that you may not want to live in. Now you can go where you have good broadband access and have the quality of life that you'd like to have. And in my mind, that's the state's role in getting these lovely areas of our states connected some of the most beautiful areas of our state sometimes lack the access they need. And that's, that's where the state can play a role in helping to bring those communities together with potential partners. And again, through these grant programs that can help incentivize that investment. Yeah, you know, a, a viewer just asked this question, which is, I think, articulated much better than, than I did. Um, and, you know, and, and, and in fairness, you know, you guys, I don't know that you're the ones to answer this, but maybe you can try to take a stab at it. So whose job is it or who should take the lead in bringing these additional partners to the table um, to address what's still needed? In, in Minnesota, that happens a couple of different ways. It happens through the Office of Broadband Development, the, the uh, office that I head up at our state's Department of Employment and Economic Development. It also happens through our Governor's Broadband Task Force. And again, it's the, the role of leadership and, and working together with industry and other um, state and local organizations that are interested in broadband expansion. We have a rural broadband coalition in Minnesota. They've done a, a fantastic job of bringing a diverse group of stakeholders together in a different way. There's a lot of conversations happening around the state around how do we solve this problem? And again, I think keeping an open mind to who should be there and, and keeping a watchful eye out for who we're missing.
Dave, I, I had a wrap up question, but do you have anything you wanted to ask prior to that? Well, I, I just want to I just want to make a comment. Um, Angie and I were talking before the show started, reflecting on our time together uh, working for the state of Wisconsin. And here I was over at the Department of Workforce Development. Yet broadband was an important issue for 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 my agency uh, at the time. And as a matter of fact, the Governor's Council on Workforce Investment identified broadband broadband development as a strategic priority as part of its uh, strategic plan. And I think the, the one thing that I took away from my experience in state government is that broadband development cuts across every agency of state government. It's an important issue for everybody. And frankly, I think you can extend that out to the state as a whole, whether it's Minnesota or Wisconsin. I mean, we all have a stake in having um, a, a very effective broadband network, right? So we all have access. And, and we've talked about it quite a bit here this morning. Uh, the pandemic certainly has brought that, has really brought that home. So, you know, I, I think the momentum is, uh, from my perspective, uh, the momentum is going to uh, continue to build. And I really applaud uh, both of you for your leadership uh, efforts uh, in this arena and doing everything that you could do uh, to, to help make that happen and, and, and help be that convener. That's so important to get the right people to the table to, to do what we need to do. So thank you for all of that. So just a comment, Eric, I just wanted to. Yeah, no, that's great. I appreciate that. And, and uh, let me just uh, ask this kind of final question to both of you. And look, you can also comment and make any comments you want if we haven't covered any topics you, you wanted. But the, the question is, look, we, we, we have pockets of, of success, clearly. We have some pockets where we need help in both states. Um, and, and we clearly are on, on a trajectory towards um, you know, full broadband access. But my question is realistically, how close are we? How long is this going to take? You know, I was I was thinking about we talked about electrification and how you know people always hold that up as the model of of you know how everybody you know got into the 20, 20th century at that time um, by uh, the government stepping in in many cases and providing that sort of last mile coverage uh, and ensuring everybody had it. But, you know, in, if you look at the history, it took years. I mean, it took years to get that done. Uh, it seems like we don't have that time because people want it now. And like you said, COVID highlighted that. Um, so just, you know, looking into the crystal ball for a minute, when do you think we're going to have, quote unquote, full and, 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 you know, adequate coverage for all of the citizens of, our, of these two states? Not as soon as we want. How's that for me? You know, the the next the next three to five years are going to be really telling as we as we see how this rural digital opportunity fund, how those investments get built out, and how um, frankly how some of the wireless and satellite technologies are deployed. It's going. It's the next three to five years will be really telling in terms of how close we're getting to our goals. And again, some, in some ways we're, we're always working towards a moving target, right? Um, ideally we get to a point where we have made that investment in infrastructure and then we can continue our focus on how we provide digital equity and access for folks who may not may be facing barriers such as affordability or literacy, digital literacy skills that get in the way. And 
I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with, with this because it's, it's so important. So with the federal stimulus that was passed in December, there was a program created called the Emergency Broadband Benefit. And it's important for folks to know about that. And um, uh, Alyssa and I could both uh, be resources for anyone looking for additional information, but it's a program that provides a $50 per month benefit to pay for the cost of broadband service for eligible households and $75 a month for households uh, in tribal areas. Again, their eligibility requirements and the program hasn't officially begun yet, but I would imagine by early next month, we'll know more about the providers who are participating. So if uh, you can keep that on your radar, um, it is definitely a way for us to at least temporarily help folks during these times. But Dave and Eric, thank you for the opportunity to be with you today and for shining a light on this important policy issue. I appreciate you so very much. Thank you. Thanks so much, Angie. I love talking with you. And I will say the Wisconsin Broadband Office is doing an emergency broadband benefit at 2 p.m. today. Um, so if you go on our website, you can find the recording and registration. Um, but that, that's sort of my, and we'll continue to have lots of information about that up on our website. And so I just, the, the when's it gonna be done? The state of Wisconsin, you know, there's these opportunities with low orbit satellite that might be very promising or might not, we're still learning. I think both Wisconsin and Minnesota have a challenge of, we have some depreciating copper in our networks, right? And, and what's that gonna mean? And will it be maintained? And um, what's that impact gonna be as we try to strive towards these goals as some of the current networks depreciate while we build new ones? It's, it's really a, a significant challenge in Wisconsin. Um, and, and then one of our other challenges is data. We, we generally know where a lot of the, the challenges are, but we don't precisely know. And the, the better we solve this problem, the more we're going to start needing a scalpel and we're going to need really, really specific data. And so we have good data, but we will start to need great data as we get towards meeting our goals. And so um, people like to remind me that even um, electrification in the state isn't at 100%. You know, we're, so I think, um, you know, we're, we're, we're still we'll be up in the very high 90s, I think, in 2025. Um, but those those last addresses will be, they'll be a challenge or they'll or they'll continue to use satellite service. Um, and maybe satellite service itself will get better. Um, but just like Angie, I appreciate this opportunity so much and have loved talking with both of you and seeing Angie again, who I didn't get to see at conferences this year. <laughs> well, Thank you both. Wow, this has been really uh, enlightening for me personally. I don't know a lot about this topic, so it was fantastic to hear about this. And, and frankly, for just um, realizing how much uh, time, effort, and energy and work is going into this, and also a, a little bit dose of reality of how much work there is to do. So we appreciate you know, your candor about that as well. Um, so thanks, for your, thanks to you both for being here. Thanks for your service to your respective states. And We'll forgive um, Angie for being a, a gopher at heart, but we, we're so glad that you were here, Angie. And, and of course, our apologies to Dwayne The Rock Johnson for running out of time for his usual visit, but of course, we'll have him on again next week. And thanks to all of our viewers today. We had some great questions. We really appreciate your participation. And I, I would just like to add my appreciation to uh, Angie and Alyssa for being here today. 
<clears throat> and Angie, I'm not so sure it was the light that we were shining on the topic today. I, I think it might have been the reflection from Eric's forehead, but but uh, the discussion was great, and uh, we really appreciated the opportunity to learn more about a, a really critically important issue for the future of, uh, of both of our states. Um, we're off next week for spring break, so we look forward to seeing you in two weeks, and uh, have a great uh, weekend, everybody. <laughs>